Today's scripture reading is from Book of Luke, chapter 14, verse 1, and also verses 7 through 14. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to share a meal in the home of one of the leaders of the Pharisees, they were watching him closely. When Jesus noticed how the guests sought out the best seats at the table, he told them a parable. When someone invites you to a wedding celebration, do not take your seat in the place of honor. Someone more highly regarded than you could have been invited by your host. The host who invited, who invited both of you will come and say to you, give your seat to this other person. Embarrassed, you will take your seat in the least important place. Instead, when you receive an invitation, go and sit in the, last, in the least important place. When your host approaches you, he will say, friend, move up here to a better seat. Then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. All who lift themselves up with, will be brought low, and those who make themselves low will be lifted up. Then Jesus said to the person who had invited him, when you host a lunch or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers and sisters, your relatives or rich neighbors. If you do, they will invite you in return, and that will be your reward. Instead, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, crippled, lame, and blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. Instead, you will be repaid when the just are resurrected. The word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. Amen. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. One of the biggest differences between my own childhood and the childhood of my, my children is the screens everywhere <laughs> and the internet everywhere. Um, there was TV when I was a kid. There were the very first computers. I, uh, my dad had an Apple IIe, so I remember the green screen a little bit, but it's, it's a very different world today with both, both the internet and then all the streaming services. And so, you know, like for, for most of us, it's like TV is like, it's what's there. You have no choice. You can choose between options, but if it's just like reruns of Gilligan's Island for eight hours, like that's it. <laughs> you don't get to pick which one you want, as opposed to try, you know, spending my kid, watching my kids spend 20 minutes, pick out which episode of the show they want to watch before they watch it. With kids today, there's a lot, of, a lot of screens, a lot of phones, tablets, TVs, and every parent has to make a decision about how to, how to respond to it. And I don't, honestly, I don't think there's, there's, a, right, there's a right answer. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a challenging and tricky thing. Uh, one of the things we, we do in our, our household is when school starts, we make, during the school week, the kids aren't allowed to be on screens. Um, and the weekends, they are. And so that's a kind of just a, just a simple boundary. But it's always this challenge, especially when the school year starts, of like, well, what about this? So this is educational, and this is, this is also educational. It's like everything becomes much more educational um, when they're trying to get something. <laughs> but, but Ephraim, who, you, who was up here a minute ago, uh, once, once told me, he's like, Dad, I can't wait to be a grown-up, because then I can watch screens whenever I want. <laughs> And, you know, like, and, and Rowan, who was up here too, um, our good friend, was like, no, you don't want to be a grown-up because you'll have too much responsibility. 
And that's exactly what I was told Ephraim. It's like, yeah, I don't know if you want to be a grown-up. You have a lot of, you're going to have a lot of different responsibility. <laughs> it's, a, it's a funny word. There are things that you do as an adult that you don't really want to do. You feel like you have to do. Growing up is not being able to do all the things you want all the time. Depending on where you're from, what you do, how you were raised, how you see the world, we all have different levels of responsibility. For instance, at the grocery store, there are some people who don't return the grocery cart to the rack. This is something that is like shocking to me. I can't understand it. I was raised like, this is what you have to do. You cannot leave until it. And then I just see these, these grocery carts strewn about. This is not in the Bible. I don't think you're going to hell if you don't return it. But it's just something for me. It's like, oh my gosh, I have to, no matter what, even if my children are screaming, it's like, no, I, have to be, I will be back and return the cart. As well, there are some people who, when they pull something out of a cabinet in the kitchen, they don't close that cabinet. True confessions, that's me. I'm that person. You can always tell if I've been in a kitchen because all the cabinets are open. <laughs> And it's, it's I've been blinded to this. And it's like my, my wife sometimes is like tracking behind me, just like making sure the cabinets are closed so that we don't bump our heads on the corners. We all have, have different ideas of the responsibility, but that's, that's a reality of, of what it means in this world. There are different levels of responsibility in all aspects of life, but being in this world that was created by God, what are, are our responsibilities towards each other? My friends, we are continuing our series on in the world, looking at how to live in the world, but not of the world. Last week, we talked about the privileges of being a child of God. And this week, it is responsibility. Responsibility is a lovely English word that you can get to the roots super fast. It's like response and ability. Are you able to respond to the situation? Do you have the ability what we are responsible for matters because if we draw the circle of our responsibility narrowly, then we don't have to think about many things other than ourselves and our own desires. When we draw that circle narrowly, it's like the child's dream of being a grown-up. You get to do whatever you want, whenever you want, and there are no consequences or limitations. There is no one to tell you to go make your bed or close the cabinet or brush your teeth. You are gleefully ignorant of any of the consequences of your actions. You may also think if you draw the, the circle too broadly, you never have a chance to rest. You never have a chance for peace. The question deeply matters. It matters from the very beginning of the Bible. We see this in the book of Genesis right after creation with the story of Cain and Abel. The children of Adam and Eve, Cain becomes jealous of his brother. Abel takes him out into the fields and kills him and comes back. And God asks him, where is your brother? And Abel says, am I my brother's keeper? What is the size of our circle? What is the size of our circle? This is a question that people have been wrestling with for all of hum human history. As long as there been, has been any concept of the good, or doing good to others, there has been a further concept of who should I do good to? And who do I not have to do good to? Who are the people I need to care about? Humans are very good about trying to, to figure out what is the minimum I need to do in this situation? What is the least? 
What is the least I must do for my neighbor? Another, another way this comes out is just defining the question, who is my neighbor? Who am I responsible for? To be a Christian in this world is to be confronted by this question. And inconveniently, when we look to the Gospels, Jesus draws the circle wide. <laughs> he draws it very uncomfortably wide. Jesus draws the circle so wide, many think it's impossible to actually follow him and live it out. We make it out that no one could actually follow the ideals of Jesus. They are beyond the scope of human possibility. Oh, Jesus, he's really holy. Look at him. He's loving everybody, not me. I couldn't do that. But it's an ugly sort of a la carte faith that tries to say the things that in the Bible that are achievable should be taken seriously and the things that aren't should be taken figuratively. Oh, it's a metaphor. Jesus is inviting metaphorically all these people to the table. He doesn't really want to not invite his friends. We should, it means we should just be nice to people. But this passage from Luke 14 is a great example of how hard it is to take some of the teachings of Jesus. Jesus is telling us to have dinner parties and to not invite friends, but to invite the poorest people around us. Jesus is telling us to have parties at our home, in our house, with the people you don't want to spend with, with the people you see on the news you don't want to be a part of, with dangerous people. What could happen? Bad things could happen. The consequences of what Jesus is commending us to do are uncomfortable. We need, we need to face this. If we are going to actually read the Bible and take it seriously, Jesus doesn't simply offer us a simple path for a stable faith where there aren't any challenges. Christians have tried to create this stability, but it's not found in the Gospels. It assumes a lot of things, but the only stability found in the Gospels is offered by leaning entirely on Jesus Christ. It's not the stability of our home or our community or our, or our ideas of politics in this world that is only found in leaning on Jesus Christ. We cannot lean on ourselves, our own structures or assumptions. We cannot even lean on the assumptions of safety if we're actually going to follow Jesus. Now, when we, we read this passage like this, and Jesus is literally says to us, don't invite your friends. Go invite the closest people you see. Go invite random people. I think there are a number of ways we should read this. I think one way we should read it is read it literally. And literally is a, is a word that's kind of thrown around a lot. It really just means the letters, like taking the letters seriously. Literalis. It's a, and so don't ignore what the letters say in that kind of way. And so to take it seriously, do what he says to do. And I must confess, I am not very good at this. I don't like hosting many parties at all, um, let alone parties without my friends. But I'm convicted about it. I'm convicted about how the importance of reading this and striving for a faith that reads this. I think we should also read it as a way that Jesus is redefining who we think our neighbor is and who we are responsible for. And our responsibility is not just to our friends and family. It is to the people around us who we don't invite to parties. We would not invite into our house. We would not welcome into our house. We would be offended if they entered our house. Our responsibilities as Christians, go beyond the level of our comfort. But if, if Jesus is just a good teacher and faith is just a nice story that brings some order to the world and gives us some nice morals, that's one thing. It's a lot easier 
to have an a la carte faith where we pick and choose the things we want to follow. To say, oh, you know, Jesus is speaking here metaphorically and he doesn't want us to feel uncomfortable. Jesus would never want us to be uncomfortable. And I'm not, I don't need to do this. I'm only gonna invite my friends. I'm gonna invite the people who already love me and like me and act like me and are similar to me. Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, but I just want people who already look like me and that'll make life a lot easier. My neighbors are already great. The people in my HOA are fantastic. It'll be a wonderful party. This is the way we can respond to Jesus if Jesus is just a human teacher and um, he said some good things that we can take or leave as we see fit. If, on the other hand, Jesus is the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, out of whom all things were made, the Word made flesh that dwelt among us. If Jesus actually rose again from the dead, defeating death and offering us mercy and new life, offering us the kingdom of heaven here and now, not just in the future, here, then we should respond in a different way. Then, then we should be a lot less willing to pick and choose the scriptures we are going to follow. These hard words of Jesus, what are we going to do about them? That is really the question. The question is not, are we already perfect? Are we already flawless? Are we fine already with inviting anybody to our house? The question is, understanding our own insufficiency, what are we going to do about it? Are we going to keep drawing that circle narrow so that we think we're doing good? Or are we going to draw the circle as Jesus does? realizing our responsibility to our neighbors and to the world and working together as the body of Christ with the Holy Spirit to fulfill it. When Jesus is preaching, when Jesus is speaking, he's not always speaking to people as individuals, but to the church, to what will be the church, to show them how to be the church. It's not just a command for each of us in our own individual lives to live a certain way, for us as a body gathered together to live a certain way. And so as a church, we should act in a way to draw the circle wide. So my brothers and sisters, this is our call. As Christians, we should draw the circle wide together. The burden is not all on each of our individual shoulders. We should work with each other in our different gifts that we all have to live in this world. And that takes time. It takes a willingness to listen. It takes a willingness to admit when you are wrong. It takes a willingness to admit when you have fallen short. It takes a willingness to see what goes beyond the expectations of the world, which calls us to, to draw the circle supremely narrow. The call of the world calls us to draw that circle so narrowly to just what we want, so that is what we can consume in it. Consume and support and nothing beyond that narrow circle and imagining us as a bunch of atoms bouncing around each other, indifferent to the lives of those around us. But the only way we can follow Jesus is by faith and by the Holy Spirit. We cannot do it on our own. When God is convicting us through the Gospels, it's not to make us feel guilty, but to see our need for grace and faith and mercy. You are not enough. I am not enough. But together with God, we are more than enough. God has done amazing things in this world. God is doing amazing things in this world. If we're willing and humble to see as God sees, to read the words of Jesus and take them seriously and be convicted about how to love and about who to love, and then to actually go and do it, amazing things will happen. My brothers and sisters, I hope you can hold me accountable to 
this, to draw the circle wide, to draw others into the body of Christ, to call others and live out the gospel here. And now may we realize our own responsibility to our neighbors is not a burden. It's not a way to feel guilty, but a freedom that Christ gives us so that we do not have to be the ones to judge who is worthy of love in our life. We are free to love through grace, whoever they are, to love them through the Spirit together. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, your call is daunting, but your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Help us to be your church. Help us to be your body. Help us to be your hands and feet and to live into your kingdom now. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.